Some of the things I'm going to say to you uh, this morning are designed to encourage God's people to persevere in the work of the gospel. But, so it's all about encouragement this morning. But the things I'm going to say also show us something of how wonderful the gospel is and how wonderful Jesus Christ is. And we're going to learn a little bit this morning about what he's done for his people and how much he loves his people. And if nothing else this morning, I want you to see something wonderful in the Saviour. See something wonderful in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though we're in the Old Testament and we're looking at the Old Testament and we're looking at pictures and images, I want you to have the Lord Jesus Christ in your mind. Because it's really important that when we come together as God's people, when we come together to meet, that as we sang at the very beginning, that we see Jesus. Because he is the one true and living God. He, it is him that we need every day, every hour. So I want to have that, you to have that in the back of your mind as we look at these um, verses together. But let me begin with, begin with this. Are you the sort of person who starts something and then has second thoughts about it when you're halfway through? I'm a bit like that. And uh, some people and members of my family would have heard this before. I'm a bit like that with my DIY. And uh, I start with great enthusiasm, which usually means making a big hole somewhere um, in a wall. And then I find I can't, haven't got all the tools or I haven't got the skills to finish the job. And I rem remember once when we were, not long after we were married, I decided to put some, well, Catherine wanted me to put some shells up, so I, I, I made a hole in the wall. And um, the trouble is, the hole just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And by the time I put the shelf on, you could see the hole around the back of the shelf, so it was a bit of a disaster. And uh, so you can guess how popular I was in the early days of our marriage. It can be like that with us sometimes. It may be a job we've been given to do and we don't want to do it. We find it hard. We start it. It may be a sport that we like and we think we enjoy it and then we give up because it <coughs> it's too difficult. I sometimes tell my children there's no pain, there's no gain without pain. And uh, that's true in this area. And that can be true of us spiritually as well, can't it? And sometimes the Lord comes to us and he pinpoints things in our lives. He pinpoints sins in our lives. It might be how we speak. It might be how we use our tongue saying things we shouldn't. It might be how we use our eyes looking at things that we shouldn't. It might be how we use our minds thinking about things that we shouldn't. When the Lord pinpoints those things in our lives, when he homes in on them, we decide, don't we, we're going to do something about it. We're going to tackle this best endeavours. And for a few days, we persevere with it. Then for all sorts of reasons, we give up. It may be the influence of friends. It may be an upset. It may be the devil tempting us and saying, well, actually, this thing doesn't really matter. Sometimes the Lord shows us that we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ more than we do. And we endeavour we say, I'm going to start working with that person because I know, I know I don't love them like I should, so I'm going to try and work with them and try and love them. And then something happens, some discouragement happens, and we give up. 
And that might be where you are this morning, in all sorts of, of different ways. Do you feel like giving up on your good spiritual intentions? And if that's the case, then this morning's message is for you. And I gave you a little bit of background before, but let's just remember again, you've got the children of Israel being brought back from Babylon, and then you have Haggai and Zechariah speaking to them. Haggai did, he exposed their self-interest, didn't he? He exposed them, he saw them looking after their own houses and making everything nice. And he said, what are you doing? You should be working on the temple. But Zechariah, so that was a bit of a stick, wasn't it? A bit of a stick. And Zechariah comes in a slightly different way and he uses a character spurs God's people into action to help them finish what they started. He wanted to encourage them to re-engage, start rebuilding the temple. The foundation was there, but nothing else. And he did that through these eight visions. Last time, I think we looked at the third vision. I want us to look at the fourth vision this time. And that's the vision we have, which involves this man, Joshua. And Joshua was the high priest that came back with those people that had been um, that been to Babylon. And he was God's representative amongst, amongst the people. But let's just remember a little bit. 605 BC, the Israelites came back from Babylonian captivity, remember. And in 536 BC, just after the Assyrians had been overthrown by the Persians, King Cyrus, the Persian king, issued that famous decree, didn't he? That allowed the Israelites to return. And then they started work on the temple. And then as I reminded you earlier on, that work ground to a halt. It stopped. And it's against that background then that Zechariah and Haggai came to prophesy. So what's the relevance of this for us this morning? What's the relevance of it for us? Well, we become and can become weary in the work God gives us to do. And we need encouragement don't we and we struggle sometimes in the face of opposition that the workers on the temple they faced opposition from those Samaritans and we too can face opposition in the work of the gospel and feel sometimes that we can't go on and we need to be strengthened and we need to be encouraged and sometimes also we lose sight of the end game. And that's what the children of Israel did. They lost sight of the end game. They lost sight of the finished work. They lost sight of the temple that God was going to build. And we can lose sight of what we're here for. And we need sometimes to be given a fresh vision of what God is doing in his church and amongst his people. So let's look at this fourth vision and see how it can encourage us and spur us on. And the person at the centre of it is Joshua. Joshua was the high priest, as I said, at the time of the return. And he represented the people before God. And so, what is said to him is relevant for us. He was, what was said to him was to be passed on to the people. And what we read of him hearing, we need to take to our own hearts. So you have this scene. You have Joshua, the high priest. You have the angel of the Lord who is synonymous with the Lord. Use that, those words are used interchangeably. This was, they were in the presence of God. 
you have Satan and you have Zacharias. At the f These are the four. Four that are at that scene. And it's the dialogue or the conversation that takes place that I want us to think about and to draw encouragement from. <clears throat> so, verse 1. What does... What do we have here? Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The first thing is this. By waving is to remember who the enemy really is. Remember who the enemy is. Joshua is pointed here to Satan. His enemy is Satan. And Satan comes with the specific objective of accusing, doesn't he? Satan standing at his right-hand side to accuse him. The New Testament tells us, your enemy is, the devil is like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. That's what he wants to do. And we're also told that he can masquerade as an angel of light. So he can confuse us. It's clear to Joshua here, but he can confuse us so be under no illusion, the devil is real. And his express purpose is to confound and to stop God's work. And he achieved that amongst the children of Israel. But let's look for a moment at how does he do that. We're told here that he's standing on the right-hand side of the angel ready to accuse Joshua. And what's he going to accuse Joshua of? Well, look a little bit further says here that Joshua, verse 3, was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And we know that those filthy clothes are a picture of sin, doesn't he? Because then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. The filthy clothes were a picture of, of sinfulness. And since Joshua is a representative of the people, his filthy clothes are a picture of God's people's sinfulness. So what's Satan doing here? He's pointing out, isn't he? He's pointing out specific sins and he's saying to Joshua, you're a fake. You're a disgrace. Call yourself a Christian. You're not worthy to own the name of Christ because you're so filthy. You made a mess of things. People have come back, started the work on the temple, given up. You've made a mess of things, Joshua. And you can't possibly carry on. That's what he would have said to Joshua. That's what he would have accused him of. And he would have probably added, and we know that this was said, wasn't it? Because it's recorded for us in Ezra. That, that some people were saying, ah, the new temple you're building is going to be nowhere near as good as the old one. So there was already discouragement there. And isn't that what Satan does to us? Isn't that what he does to us? He whispers in our ears... And as so often is the case, he starts with what's true. But then he follows it with a lie. He tells us what we're like. We're sinful, we do things wrong. He tells us what we're like. And that's true, isn't it? Because that is what we are like. But then he says, there's no hope for you. God will not have you. That's what he's saying. But that's a lie. So when you're faced with those discouraging thoughts, remember who it is 
that is making you feel and act that way. Satan accusing. And use the promises of Scripture. James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee. Stand up to him. So first thing is, remember who your enemy is. And the second thing is in verse 2, remember whose side you're on. Listen to this. Isn't this encouraging? The Lord said to Satan, this is the angel of the Lord, said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? How would you have felt if you were Joshua to hear those, utter, those words uttered by the Lord to Satan? The Lord rebuke you. And sometimes we sing and we'll sing later on, who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? See, it's at those times of discouragement, those times when the work slows down and grinds to a halt. We need to remember whose side we are on. Who is our king? Whose army we are in? Who is our captain? You remember 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 says this, The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So Joshua would have felt encouraged at hearing those words, wouldn't he? And that's the language of the courtroom, isn't it? Hear the Lord defending him. Satan accusing, the Lord defending. And that same pattern is true for us. We're to remember that we too have the same advocate that Joshua had. We have one who stands with us when things are tough. We sing that sometimes, don't we? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sins. So we're to remember whose side we're on and remember that he will and he does defend and uphold his people before the accusations, accusations of Satan. That's the second thing. So, Remember who the enemy is. Remember whose side you're on. And then thirdly, remember what you've been saved from, verses 3 and 4. We looked at that. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his guilty clothes. And it's here that we see Joshua in his filthy rags. And one is described as being one who's snatched from the fire. And that's a picture, isn't it, of the sinfulness of God's, of God's people. And we don't know, do we? I mean, that imagery is very, very powerful, isn't it? The imagery of, because we, we don't know what it's like, most of us, to wear rags. And some of us, some of you may have been to countries where you've seen children in rags, flea-ridden, filthy rags, begging on the street. And we sometimes do see it on our on our TV screens. And those, those images and those pictures fill us with oh, an awful sense, don't they? We said that how, can that, how can that be? They produce outrage in our hearts. And yet those images are nothing compared to the horror of our sinfulness in God's eyes. We need to remember that. And it's a good thing from time to time. It is a good thing from time to time that we're reminded of our sinfulness because it helps us see the great depth of, God, depth of God's love for us. And you see, that's why Joshua is exposed at this point. 
the, the Lord doesn't want to, he knows we're being accused, doesn't want to drive us to despair. That's what Satan wants. He wants to drive us to despair. But what God wants is for us to see what we've been saved from. This is what I'm like, but God has loved me. So it's really important that we remember what we've been saved from. And then the, the fourth point is this. Remember what Christ has done for you. Verse 5. Then I said, well the end of verse 4. See I have taken away your sin. He said to Joshua, and I will put rich garments on you. And then he said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. So the angel of the Lord says to him, take off, take off his filthy clothes. What does that mean? Well, it means, doesn't it? It means take away his sin. Take away the consequences of his sin. Joshua's being told here that you may be guilty of many sins. You may be guilty of many things. And Satan may be accusing you. But I, the angel of the Lord says, I have the power to cleanse you. I have the power to remove your guilt. I have the power to take away your sin. That imagery is really powerful, isn't it? And Joshua is told to remove his filthy clothes. And that's a wonderful thing. To know that our sin can be taken away. We know what we're like. We know that we offend God. We know that we do things wrong. And here he says, I will take away your sin. That sin will no longer stand between you and me. And that's a marvellous thing. So if you're a Christian this morning, that's what Christ has done for you. He's taken away your sin. And if you're not a Christian this morning, that's what he will do for you. If you put your trust in him, and that's what he wants, more than anything else. Psalm 103 says this, as far as the east is from the west. Can you say how far the east is from the west? We can't, can we? So far has he removed our transgressions from us. So far has he taken away our sin from us. Why is that relevant? Why is that so important? Well, if Jesus has done that, if Jesus has taken away our sins, then Satan's accusations have no foundation. So when Satan comes and says, you're awful, when we feel like that inside, we could say, if I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, his accusations have no foundation because they hold no currency with God because my sins are forgiven. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Because whilst there may be sin in our lives, we cannot be condemned. We cannot be condemned by them. Because what? Because Jesus died. If you're a young person this morning, you'd say, how cool is that? How wonderful is that? But that's not all. Not only, that's not all. There's more here, isn't it? Because the angel says, I will put rich garments on you. So not only is Joshua cleansed, but he's reclothed in royal robes. So, do you know what? The day the Lord takes away our sin, what does he do? He changes us. We're given royal robes. He's given us something new to wear. Do you remember the story of the prince and the pauper? 
Do you remember how the pauper felt when he found himself in the prince's clothes? This was a rags to riches story. And that's true spiritually for all who belong and own the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, God's children are told this, aren't they? Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, and so on. See, Zechariah was so taken up by this. He'd heard this, he'd seen this wonderful picture of filthy rags being taken off, new clothes being given to Joshua. He says, well... To cap it all, put a turban on his head. Put, a, put his turban on. Reinstate him as the high priest. And that's how Joshua was to be. So we're to remember. We're to remember in the face of Satan's accusations, in the face of discouragement, remember what Jesus has done. He's done what he's done. The wonderful work that he's done to take away our sin and to clothe us in the righteousness of Christ. So fifth point here. So we remember what Jesus has done. And then the fifth point is this. Remember your responsibility. Verses 6 and 7. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among those standing there. So remember your responsibility. So if all that is true, remember who your enemy is. Remember whose side you're on. Remember what you've been saved from. Remember what Christ has done for you. Then, If all that is true of you, then remember your responsibility. It's a bit like Tim saying this morning. If you're in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you will want to serve him. You will want to do what he wants. It's like the housekeeper. The relationship of wanting to try and catch out the master, which is what many of us are like, yes, Church turns from wanting to, to wanting to please the master. And that's what he's saying to here. If you walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern and you will lead. See, it's vitally important for all of us that we fulfill our responsibilities in the church of Jesus Christ. We each have a task. We each have a place. And we're to fulfill that task, whatever the circumstances so that leads us on to the final encouragement here. And that's, this perhaps is the most wonderful. And it gets a little bit confusing here because there's more imagery here. The final encouragement tells us this. The angel of the Lord concludes his fourth vision with this. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Who's my servant and who's the branch? See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that stone and I will engrave an inscription on it. So what's the branch here that... that uh, <clears throat> the angel of the Lord is pointing to. Well, the branch here is the coming Messiah. The branch here is a picture of Jesus who was to come. Because all this happened well before Jesus was born, 521 BC. Zechariah had witnessed the angel of the Lord taking away Joshua's sin, reclothing him. And here, what's happening here is he's pointing to the one through whom that work would be done. Isn't he? Zachariah is saying, Zachariah has seen the imagery. 
And then the angel of the Lord says, the Lord comes to Joshua, comes to Zechariah and says, this is the one through whom that work is going to be done. This is the one through whom your sins will be forgiven. And he's pointing ahead. It was 500 years till Jesus would come. He's pointing ahead to Jesus. Jesus was going to come. And Zechariah is given the privilege of being able to look ahead to that single day. What's that verse says? In that day, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. He's allowing Zechariah to look ahead to that single day when all the sin of the land would be removed. When all the sin of God's people would be removed. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ stands at the crossroads of time. Stands at the crossroads of time. It reaches forward to us who live at the end of the age and it reached back to God's people in the old covenant. It reached back to those who believed. And that event, the cross of Jesus Christ, is what the angel of the Lord was pointing to here. And we need to see that. We need to grasp that because the cross of Jesus Christ is the ground of all our hope this morning. So we've seen a number of things, haven't we, from these verses. So I hope that however, however things were when you came in this morning, when you came through the door, Zachariah has given us six reasons to re-engage, six reasons to get back in the saddle, six reasons to get back in the water and swim against the tide. Six reasons to remind us that we are on. It may not feel like it all the time, but we on, are on the victory side. Because God is building this temple. He is, did build the temple, we saw he built it. But he's also building his church. And that's what we're here to do. So how can these words, all these things to remember, not encourage us? So what trust this morning that God's spirit will take what we've heard, encourage us, strengthen us, equip us to engage with him. And uh, one missionary, Helen Rosevere, you may have heard of her, said this, the only things that ultimately count are those things we do for him. We could do all sorts of things in this world, do all sorts of things in this life. But when we look back and say, what has really counted? The only things that will ultimately count will be the things we've done for Jesus Christ. Paul said this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and listen to this, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Amen. <clears throat> Well, we're going to sing the number 720, the one that uh, I referred to. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the King? Who will be his helpers, other lives to bring? Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever 
endeavor. Amen.